Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father God, we thank you for your word. And I pray now as I preach, you would take my words and use them for the blessing of your people. Guide me by, my, by your spirit. May I decrease and you increase. Father God, we pray that you would continue to transform our hearts. May we reflect upon your character this morning, and would that stir us to, people, to be people who would persistently and continually come to you in prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to share with you this morning a text that I received during the week from um, Tara Henderson. It was encouraging for me, and so... Uh, I asked her permission to share it with you because I thought it would encourage everyone else as well. This is what she said, I quote, Just wanted to say thank you for your encouragement to pray every day in your teaching a few weeks ago. A few minutes a day has ended up with some amazing long times of prayer for me, a new and motivated passion for the lost, and a desire for his presence like I've never known before. It seems prayer breeds the desire for more prayer. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? My hope is that that's been your experience, at least for those of you who have been fighting and wrestling for prayer. That's the point of this series, is that God would begin to transform our hearts. And how true it is that prayer breeds a desire for more prayer, because it's it's life-giving for us. But the reality is that prayer can be hard. It's hard to persevere. I don't know how many of you have made New Year's resolutions that you've already just tapped out on. You're like, I'm done, too hard. But the, the desire there is to want to grow in this area. And we begin to pray, and it's hard work. Well, my hope is that as we look at these scriptures from Luke 18, that that would cause us to persevere in prayer, to be a church that is relentless in coming to God. It's not often that Jesus tells you the reason for the parables. Sometimes he just throws the parables out there and gives no explanation of it. But this one, right up front, he tells you the purpose of the parable. And his purpose is this in verse 1. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The purpose of this parable is to build faith in his disciples, to build persistence and perseverance in prayer. Jesus wants his disciples to be tireless, relentless, almost stubborn, dare I say, in prayer. Now, there's an assumption in this parable, as well as in the context that that leads up to this parable, that there will be a delay, that there is a time of 
waiting on the Lord for his answers. And Jesus wants to encourage his disciples that in that time, in that period of waiting, don't lose heart. Don't give up praying. This parable comes immediately after Jesus has been talking about the end. In chapter 17, verse 20, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, tell us when the kingdom of God is going to come. And Jesus gives him an answer, two answers really. He says, you know what, the kingdom of God is going to come unexpectedly and it's also going to come unmistakably. Unexpectedly because the hour and the time is unknown. But unmistakably, it's going to come like a flash of lightning across the horizon. Every single person will know. And Jesus says, purposefully, gives them a vague answer. It's not like he says, well, on the... Um, 24th of February in 2021, the kingdom of God is going to come. And so there is this waiting on the Lord. When is Jesus going to usher in this kingdom that he's been talking about? So this parable assumes that there is a delay. Even though Jesus says God will answer quickly, there is an assumption the whole purpose of telling the story is that delays happen. We wait upon the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I find it kind of comforting to know that the apostles had the very same experience of prayer that we do. You know, like James, he's Jesus' brother. He's seen Jesus grow up. He's a disciple. He's seen it all. Or Peter, for example, two I see to Jesus, first among the, uh, among the disciples. And these guys had to be encouraged by Jesus not to give up and lose heart in prayer. I don't know about you. I, I find that comforting. That the, the very disciples of Jesus, the ones who walked the earth with him, had to be encouraged not to give up in prayer. And so if that's you, if that's where you find yourself this morning, that you have a desire to be more prayerful, but you just can't seem to persevere in it, maybe a week, but you just seem to give up for whatever reason, then my hope is that this parable would stir our souls towards persevering, faith-filled prayer. So let's have a look at it. Jesus says in verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while the judge refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The judge, uh, two characters here. The judge is um, clearly the the bad person in the story. The widow is the good person. But... His character here is not good. I mean, for for most people today, if you said there is a judge in our city and he doesn't fear God, you would say, it's pretty good. He probably doesn't have any impartial religious views that might shape his judgments and his decisions as he exercises his duties. But for Israel, it's very different. In Jewish culture, it was expected that the judge would fear the Lord and respect people. In fact, in um, 2 Chronicles, under Jehoshaphat's uh, reformation of Israel... He walks around and he establishes judges in all of the cities of Judea. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 19.5. Jehoshaphat appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, consider what you do. For you judge not for man, but for the Lord. 
He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. There is no injustice with the Lord or partiality or taking bribes. And here is a judge in Jesus' story who's practically an atheist. He has no fear of the Lord. He is a law unto himself. He's abusing his position of power and influence and authority. And he's put in place in order to restrain evil. And instead, in this case, he's perpetuating it. The second character in our story is a widow. She's at the very opposite end of the spectrum of privilege and power. She has no husband, no Centrelink, no free legal aid, nobody to represent her in court. She's got no next of kin, no money, no power, no influence. Her case is literally entirely hopeless. Widows in that culture represented the epitome of weakness and vulnerability. And we're not told exactly what happened to this widow, but chances are someone has taken advantage of her. She calls this person an adversary, and someone has most likely taken advantage of a weak, powerless woman, and she is trapped by both her circumstances and the corruption and wickedness of this judge. This is well before the time of the current affair, where you could um, take your story to Channel 9 and complain on live television. And, and they did just that on Friday night. I don't know if you watched it. I didn't watch it, just for the record. I saw an ad. And there was a widow that for 14 years a council has been oppressing. Now, wouldn't it be great if Sam, with his awesome post-production skills, was able to take a story like this and sprawl over the screen, helpless widow, denied her justice by heartless judge. But she can't do that. There's no Sam. There's no Channel 9. There's no help. None at all. The judge refuses to do what is right and fair, and he repeatedly sends her away, shoes her out of his courtroom. Chances are he does that because she can't offer him a bribe in order to hear her case. And so he heartlessly lets this vulnerable person continue to suffer, continue to deny her justice. You know, the only thing that this widow has, the only thing, is her persistence, that she would come time and time again and ask and ask and ask and ask over and over and over. Verse 3 says she kept coming. She kept on coming. And eventually, the judge changes his, his mind. You notice why he does that? He doesn't do it because he fears the Lord. He doesn't do that because he respects this woman. His motive is no higher than his own self-advancement and self-preservation. Did you see verse 5? Have a look at it again. This is the judge speaking. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, I think maybe I've watched a bit too much judge duty on, on the um, afternoons after school, but this is how I picture it playing out. The, the bailiff calls, next case, Slaps the case file down on the judge's um, desk, whatever it is. The judge takes the case file, looks at it, looks up and goes, oh, not this woman again. And she's like, hey, it's me again. Give me justice. She keeps coming. Now, the, the words here that the judge uses about being beaten down, 
These, this is language from the octagon, from the boxing ring. Literally, it reads, lest she give me a black eye. So metaphorically, what he's saying, this woman is just, she's beating me down with her perseverance and her stubborn request again and again and again for justice. And so he finally relents and gives her what she's been asking of him for so long. Now, if you're a parent here, you will know what this is like. If you've got children old enough to speak and nag and ask, can I have this? Can I have, can I have a chocolate? Can I have a chocolate? Can I have a chocolate? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? All right, have a chocolate. No, we're not there, but we're going to get out of the car anyway. You know, that persistent nagging that just wears you down and you eventually give in. It's what's happened in this case. Now, it's a complete mistake to say then, well, therefore, I need to pray and just nag the hell out of God until he eventually answers my prayer. That's going to be my strategy. That is not what Luke is saying here in Luke 18. That is not the point of the story. God is not like the unrighteous judge. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, God is in position of authority and privilege, but God is not heartless. God is not ruthless. He does not turn a blind eye to injustice. You know, Jesus' teaching on prayer here is vastly different from the Pharisees who taught that you really should only pray a maximum of three times a day. Because if you prayed any more than that, chances are you're going to weary God and he's, he's going to stop listening to you. Now, they, they based that teaching on Daniel chapter 6, where Daniel defiantly in Babylon goes and prays in an open window three times a day. And that's their basis for not pestering God with your prayers. Maximum three. T- Jesus' teaching is the exact opposite. In fact, Jesus is saying, you know what? Wear holes in your knees that you come so often. Be relentless in this, persistent in prayer. I know I've shared this quote with you a number of times, but I just love what it captures about the doctrine of prayer. A.W. Tozer says, prayer is not an assault on the reluctance of God. Similarly, Martin Luther says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. God is not unwilling. He's not reluctant. He is not like the judge in this story, not even close. In fact, that's what Jesus' point is. Verse 6, this is what he says. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. He condemns the judge's behavior. He's unrighteous. Hear what he says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? If a wicked, unrighteous judge is moved to action, how much more our God? How much more our God who who loves his children? Will he not act? Look at the unrighteous judge. God is vastly different from him. Jesus uses very similar logic in Luke 11 where he talks about prayer again and he says, Who, you know, fathers among you, earthly fathers, you know how to good, give good gifts to your children. If a child comes to you and asks for a bread roll, you don't give them a stone or a scorpion or a snake. You know how to give good gifts to your children even though you're wicked. How much more our heavenly father then? That's that how much more argument, and that's what's happening here in these verses. How much more, God? How much more will he hear our request and see that he answers? God will give justice. He will not 
turn a blind eye to the needs and brokenness and oppression of his people. You know, a father who is knowingly and willingly neglecting the needful requests of their child is wicked. If my children come to me and ask for a drink of water on a hot day because they're thirsty and dehydrated, for me to neglect that is wicked. God is not like that. Not one bit. But that leaves us with a problem. Because there seems to be a really good promise here. What exactly is Jesus promising? Is this a promise for justice every time God's people are oppressed? Well, like, let's be honest. What do we do with the 21 Egyptian Christians who were beheaded by Islamic State this week? Surely their families were crying out for justice. Surely they were pleading before the Lord. Why did God not vindicate at that point? Now, to be frankly honest with you, I, I, I don't know. That's just the truth. I, I don't have an answer to that question. I just don't. But what I do know is this. What we can be assured of is that whilst we might wrestle with God's timing, and whilst we might wrestle even with His sense of justice and how that might be different from our own, we can be assured that God is infinitely wiser than every single one of us. God is even infinitely wiser than all of us put together. What we can be assured of, of is this. In Revelation 6, verse 9, the martyrs cry out under the throne of God, Lord, when will you avenge our blood? And Jesus clothes them with a white robe, a symbol of victory, and says, wait a little longer. Wait a little longer. We know that God is a just God even though we might not like his timing. Justice is at the very heart of the character of God. If it's not, he is not worthy of our worship at all. I think this parable, along with many other verses, Romans 12.9, declare that God will bring justice, 100% assured. But what do we do with that word, God will do it speedily? What do we do with that one? I mean, that sounds like Jesus is saying it's going to happen really quickly. And to be honest with you, I really wrestled with that this week. And I didn't really find any satisfactory answers to that. And apart from this one that I'm going to offer you, and you'll probably find it unsatisfactory as well. But that is this. God has a very different sense of time to us. And what might seem fast and speedy to us may not be fast and speedy to God. For with God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And so we can trust that God will, will be just. That he will correct every wrong. That people will be punished to have been cruel and wicked. But you know, it's a mistake to read this and, and say, well, you know, really this parable is about praying about justice. And most of my prayers aren't really about justice. And so when I do have to pray for justice, then I'll persevere. But for the rest of them, I'm just going to pray once and give up. I think that's a mistake. Because I think the principles that we see in this parable remain no matter what request you bring to God. And the principles are these. God is unlike the unjust judge. He is willing. He is generous. God is always good. 
His righteous judgments are perfect every single time, as with every other decision he makes. His character is perfect. God always does what is right, no matter what we ask of him. We know that God is motivated by the needs of his people, whatever those needs might be. He does not turn a blind eye to the suffering and oppression of his people, of his children. Friends, those truths ought to keep us on our knees, no matter what request we bring to our Father. But you might ask, well, why does God want me to keep asking for the same thing over and over and over again? Why can't I just ask once? I mean, it's not like he doesn't know that I asked the first time. Why do I have to keep coming back? Well, here's my suggested answer. Clearly, in this passage, Jesus tells us he wants us to do that. And so if Jesus wants us, if God wants us to come to him, then he is not nagged or wearied by our continual pleading with him. And so maybe it's not God who wrestles with the repetitiousness of it. Maybe it's us who wrestles with that. Often asking for something more than once demonstrates a sense of desire and and even desperation for this thing. And maybe asking for things, maybe prayer is not just about getting all of the answers that you want to those things and circumstances that are happening out there. Maybe prayer is also about what's happening in here, in our hearts. See, I think God is just as concerned what's happening in your workplace and in your place of study and in your family life as He is in your heart. And so maybe prayer is also about God changing us and not just changing circumstances. You know, if um, Judah comes to me, Judah's my my two-and-a-quarter-month-old, two-and-a-quarter-year-old son. If he comes to me and he says, Daddy, can I have a kiss? And I'm sick or I've got a cold sore or a throat infection, I'll say no. I'll say, no, buddy, I can't give you a kiss right now. Daddy's sick. Maybe tomorrow when I'm better. But you know what? I don't get wearied and cranky when he keeps asking me for a kiss. Why? Because I want to know that he desires my affection and attention. And it warms my heart when he does that. Even if I have to say no, I still love the fact that he wants that. How How else do we know that we have not lost heart, that we are continuing to persevere in prayer if we don't? Come back and ask and ask and ask and ask. You know, I guess our struggle then is, well, how how do I wrestle with doing that and it not becoming dry and repetitious and boring? Because the reality is, for some of us, you're going to have things on your prayer list for the next year or for the next 10 years or maybe even for the rest of your life. There are certain things that are going to be on my prayer list every single day until I die. I want to pray for my wife. I want to pray for my kids. I want to pray for this church. So how do we make those things not boring and dry and laborious? Well, I think we need to find fresh language as we pray about those things. I think we need to wrestle with the things that God is teaching us and apply them to the things that we're praying for. Uh, we, we need to wrestle. Prayer is hard work. It's a labor. And we need to do that. Well, you might say, well, what about when God just doesn't answer? I mean, I've been praying for a really, really long time, and God just does not answer. H- has, has God 
stopped hearing? Is he not listening? Well, the answer is God always hears. He is the God who bends his ears towards the prayers of his people. But God answers in three ways. With a yes, with a no, or with a maybe. We love it when God says yes, right? Isn't it? That, that's the good one. That's the one you rejoice over. When you pray about something, God answers with a yes. And we've already seen so much of that in the life of Anchor, and it's been such a joy. But that one doesn't require much perseverance in prayer, does it? Because God answered it. And sometimes God says no. We plead for healing. We plead for salvation. And God says no. And those answers... To, to be frank, are crushingly hard sometimes to receive. Occasionally, God reveals the reason for why he said no, but more often than not, he doesn't, and he wants us to trust that he's in control. But often God says, not yet, not yet. Just wait, wait a little longer. And for whatever reason, in his infinite wisdom, and we wait, in that season, in those moments of delay of the lingering action of God, this parable calls us to continue to come, to keep knocking, to keep seeking, to keep pleading, to persevere in it and not give up. You know, this year we've asked, and last year as well, we've asked every single person who calls Anchor Home, who is in one of our gospel communities, to think of five friends, colleagues, family members or neighbours who they love that don't know Jesus, that they want to share the hope of the gospel with and do five things for them. We've called it the five for five. And the five things are this. Number one, pray for them every day. Now, we just talk about that. Pray for your friends every day. Pray for, pray, pray for your five every day. And it sounds simple, but it's not. Pray for them every day. Contact them once a week. Do something nice for them once a month. Invite them to your celebrations, events, and gatherings and share your faith as opportunity arises. It all falls apart if we don't persevere on number one. And that's probably the hardest bit sometimes, isn't it? Am I going to persevere in praying for these people every single day, even when it seems like God is saying no or not yet, or there's setbacks, or there's no nothing happening? Will we persevere in that? Because you know what's going to happen is in a few weeks, we're going to agree as gospel communities who our five are and agree to keep each other accountable about that. And you're going to start praying and then it's going to feel like God's not listening. It's going to feel like your prayers are going nowhere. It's going to feel repetitive. And you're going to think, what's the point? And in that moment of delay, remember that God is unlike the unrighteous judge. Prayer is not about nagging God. It's not about trying to corner him so that he has to answer. It's not about twisting his arm. No, it's about clinging to his willingness despite the delay. I remember a good mate of mine, a guy who I grew up with, went to school with, lived with for a number of years, best man in my bridal party. And we both got saved around the same time at about 17 and we finished school and we started leading a youth group together and going to church together. And after a while, he stepped out of youth leadership, said he was struggling a bit and stopped going to church and, and ended up just completely drifting away and actually partying really hard. 
a lot of drugs. And I remember being heartbroken over this because he's, he's my best mate. We'd, we'd done everything together through high school. We got saved at the same time. We'd been in Bible study together. And, and I pleaded with God that he would bring him back. I pleaded almost every day, God, please, please bring him back. Please bring him back. And eventually he did. My friend Neil, his testimony is that he tried to run from God and he tried really hard to run as far as he could. But every step he went, he felt God clinging to him and holding him. Now, I don't really know what God's purposes in that season was. I don't really know who else was praying for him and, and I'm confident that there were others. But what if, what if every single day that I got on my knees and pleaded with God, here, over there, he tightened his grip and would not let my friend run? What if? Will we be a church that is relentless in our pursuit of God's answers to prayers? Continuing to come to him, persevering in that. God, would you see fit that your glory would be made known in this city? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We persevere in those types of prayers. Will we persevere in pleading with God that he would correct the injustice, pleading with God that he would look after our persecuted brothers in the Middle East, brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, in Africa, who because of the name of Jesus face death threats every day? Will we persevere in that? God is moved by the prayers of his children, none more so than the prayer of his only begotten son, Jesus. And you know, if Jesus prayed, the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more us, right? Jesus had those moments of gut-wrenching prayer, pleading with God that he would act and intervene and change situations. You remember the prayer in the garden? As Jesus, about to face the cross, fell down, sweating drips of blood, he prayed the same prayer three times. This is what he prayed. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he went out and he found the disciples napping and he went back and he prayed again. And the third time he went back and he prayed again. Jesus knew what lay ahead. He knew the plan and the brutality of what lay ahead drove him to his knees in anguish to cry out to God, God, is there another way to this? And you know what God's answer is no. No, my son, there is no other way. Complete what I have sent you to do. Where was justice on that gruesome Easter morning when the Son of God was falsely tried and convicted, beaten within an inch of his life, flogged, dragged out to that place called Golgotha, nailed to cross and hung there. Where was justice on that day? Then an innocent man, like a sheep being led to the slaughter. Jesus certainly felt it. Because on the cross, before he breathed his last breath, he cried another prayer. As he hung there, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
the father turned his face away as he poured his wrath out on his son. And yet it is precisely at that moment, at that very moment where we scream out, where is the justice, that justice takes place. For there at the cross, Jesus hung, absorbing the full wrath of God over our sin so that he could offer us pardon and mercy and grace and freedom. At the cross, in such a wonderful way, mercy and justice kiss. Justice, sin is dealt with, and mercy is extended. So while there was no other way for Jesus, whilst the Father said no to the Son's request, he worked. He actually did the very thing that that Jesus came to do, that the world was hoping for and longing for. The will of the Father was always to achieve justice. The will of the Father was always that the Son would be glorified and vindicated. But the path was not easy. God said no to Jesus' prayer so that he could say yes to yours. He said, no, Jesus, no, my child, pay for their sin. So that when you came and said, Father, forgive me, he would say, yes. Friends, if you don't know that, if you've never prayed a prayer like that, if you have never experienced God's yes, then we invite you to pray. We invite you to come before the God who is generous and willing, who loves his children, who he has created, and plead with him that he would wash you clean, make you whiter than snow. And God loves to answer prayers like that. You know, there is no prayer that reaches the throne of heaven without being covered by the blood of Jesus. He is our mediator. He is our go-between. He is our great high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father and mediates on our behalf. That as our prayers rise, he whispers to the Father, this is my child. I've paid for that person's sin. Come and hear their prayer. Three days later, the Father vindicated the Son by raising him to life, defeating death, appointed him as judge that one day he would return to judge the living and the dead. And the cool thing about that story is that the judge is your older brother if you have faith. He is your older brother. He mediates for us. But for now, we wait and we bring our requests to our Father. And in the delay of answers, in the lingering of God's actions, we must persevere with faith in prayer. Friends, my encouragement to you is no matter what, your journey of prayer has been, no matter how hard you've had to wrestle, no matter how many no's and knockbacks you've had, no matter how many times God has said, wait a little longer. What's, what's the alternative to not coming and pleading with him in faith? Jesus ends with a question in verse 8. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And my prayer is that he would certainly find that here at Anchor. We're going to respond in worship to this God who loves us, has been generous and good to us. We're going to respond to this gospel that we've heard. We're going to do that 
in song. We're going to do that in the Lord's Supper. To my left and right are two stations with some bread and some grape juice. And we invite you as your heart is ready to come forward and to dip the bread into the grape juice and eat it, remembering that God said no to the Son of God, that his body and blood was shed and broken so that he could say yes to you. And friends, if you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you during worship. Alnaldo, myself, and maybe a few others will be out in the foyer. And we'd love to pray for you. Anything that you need, we would love to pray. But for now, I'm going to pray. Ask the band to come up. We're going to respond in worship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that right now, this prayer is possible because of Jesus' blood. Jesus, we thank you that you endured the cross, that you did the will of the Father, that you received the no. So on the day that we came to you and said, please forgive me, your Father could say, yes, wash us clean, make us new. And Lord God, we reflect on your character this morning and we ask forgiveness for the times that we've failed to have faith and trust and know that you are good, that you are perfect, that your plan is perfect, that your timing is perfect. Forgive us for those times that we've failed, we've lost heart. Would we be a church, a people, who would not tire in coming to you in prayer, would be relentless in that? Empower us by your spirit to do that. That we would see you answer prayers in this city, in our lives, in our church. And we pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.